0: At my core, I'm not a marketer, I'm a writer, right? And it's just, you can use writing to make pretty decent money in marketing, especially if you're talking about tech marketing or SaaS marketing, right?
1: Hey there, you just heard a clip from our latest guest on the People Digital Marketing Podcast, the number one resource for marketers who are aspiring to become a CMO one day or start their own business. That guest is Brooklyn Nash. Brooklyn is the founder of Beam, a content marketing agency, content writing agency. And on this episode, we talk about his agency, how he got started, how to identify nightmare clients, some good old rapid fire questions on content marketing, and much more. So if you're interested in working as a freelancer or starting your own agency one day, this episode's for you. Now, without further ado, let's tune into my conversation with Brooklyn Nash. Hi, Brooklyn. How are you?
0: Hey, Kenny, 133. It's a good number.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, this has been a, a trial of, of love and patience and just doing my best to find experts such as yourself to help the listeners in the community with uh, being better digital marketers over time. And we can take this conversation in many directions, but I always like to start in a very specific point in, in time in, in your history, which is just starting off with asking, how did you get into marketing? Oh,
0: that's a good question. Uh, the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, the real answer is I, it was completely by accident. So I did things a little bit backwards. I freelanced right out of college, kind of by necessity. My wife and I were living in Tel Aviv for a while. Couldn't have full-time work there. We weren't allowed to. So I started looking online for gigs. Um so I just did kind of anything and everything the first five years probably. It was product descriptions, yeah. e-commerce brands. There was some freelance, write, freelance writing. There was social media management. It just, the marketing, the remote work came first and the marketing was a natural progression for that because so much online work is related to marketing, right? Uh, and then just slowly got more and more dialed in on specific aspects of digital marketing and moving into b2b and working with SaaS companies um you know the last five years or so
1: and you were tasting various things both with skills and with different kinds of companies how did you start realizing hey this is a particular skill i can dive into even more
0: i think i always enjoyed the the long form writing pieces the most at my core, I'm not a marketer, I'm a writer, right? And it's just, you can use writing to make pretty decent money in marketing, especially if you're talking about tech marketing or SaaS marketing, right? So I just gravitated towards doing something that was more enjoyable to me, and that was the writing element. <clears throat> and that's in in our world, that's content marketing, right? Yeah. And Brooklyn, if you had to
1: explain to the listeners what it is that you actually do, Every single day now, how would
0: you describe your job? I make memes and post shit on Twitter. Maybe. <laughs> no, uh, so now I run Beam Content Agency with my wife, one of our, who's my co-founder, and Sam, our other co-founder. We now have two other full-time team members, so there's five of us. We are a content marketing agency for. B2B SaaS company. So we'll we do case studies and thought leadership articles and benchmark reports and, and all of that, right? And I, I have
1: to make the assumption that Beam didn't just happen where you like woke up and tapped your wife and said, Hey, we're going to start a company. We're going to call it Beam. Cause that doesn't seem like that's the reality. What is, what was the exact like progression? Yeah. What's the plot and the story around how Beam was created?
0: Yeah. So I was, she and I both freelanced for about seven years. And then I jumped into a full-time marketing job at two different tech companies, mostly because I had never had a full-time job before. I was like, there's a lot to learn in this space that I probably won't be able to by being on the outside, just writing stuff for clients, right? Um, So I spent two years in-house at two different companies, learned a ton. um, So I'm very grateful for that time. But by the end of it, realized that self-employment was the better route for me and for my wife we both we both thought that um, and we had both we had kept a lot of our freelance clients at the same time so those two years overlapped with a lot of it with covid uh, so we were working way too much like 60 70 hour weeks to do both and um so we had a solid foundation when it got to the point with the second company where I decided to leave the middle part before beam, we had a few months. <clears throat> I left in October. Uh, we asked our co-founder Sam to join us in January. And we spent those few months just trying to figure out what was next. We we weren't, it's not like I jumped out to start an agency. I left to the job. We were spent a few months thinking and feeling out what came next. And the two options really were a continue just freelancing and keep it just her and I and reduce our hours go back go down to you know 15 20 hour weeks from the 60 70 that we were at before or build a, a team so that this thing can exist outside of ourselves we got more excited about that idea um just because there's an opportunity to learn things we had never done before I didn't know what it looked like to recruit and hire people and train people and build operational processes and do the all the financial planning that goes into a, a larger scale business than what we had been running as freelancers right um sorry now i've been rambling but then we so we've got, I spent about six months with sam our other co-founder planning out the launch we landed on beam as the name we got the brand set up site and our offering and our pricing and and all that and then launched um almost a year ago we launched into june so another month here will be a year. Wow. So the journey still going. And
1: what comes to my mind is there, there are many paths that you can take when you become a freelancer. You can go the solopreneur route. You can do a product size service. You went, I don't want to call it traditional because an agency could be seen as traditional, but that's probably in the style of like 50 people where you're running a more lean operation. How did and this, I'm asking this question because there are some listeners who may be contemplating doing this in the future. How did you start recruiting? What what values and, and skills were you looking for? Was there a plan around that, or were you just thinking, who was a great coworker or someone that I worked with in the past that might be interested?
0: Yeah, Sam was an easy decision. Um, she and I had worked together at our previous company, um, before I left and she was there until she left to join us. So I kind of poached her, I guess, is the the pejorative way of saying it. Um, but we just had a great working relationship. She's super talented, creative, good at a lot of the things I'm not good at, like visual design, um, brand social things. She ran things at the company that I didn't touch as much. Um, so it just made a lot of sense to, to ask her to, to join and kind of own the creative and marketing end of of beam uh from there we knew the next hire was going to be a head of content um so we were just looking for somebody with a really keen editorial eye who could have the same mindset towards content that we did because we our whole thing is cre- trying to create b2b content that isn't boring because a lot of b2b content is boring um so yeah we just looked for somebody that that Kind of match that perspective, and then our next hire was our head of client success and strategy. Because up until she came on two months ago, I was still doing all of the account management with our clients. So it was time to to start um, distributing that a bit. And and
1: I have to make the assumption that the pitch for getting someone to join evolves over time. But for the listeners, what advice would you have for them? as far as like timing is concerned, when is the right time to start recruiting? Is it on day one? Are there certain things that need to be set up around the idea, the infrastructure, the operations before you get your first team member? How would you recommend they go about doing
0: that? I don't know if this piece has to come first, especially because if you have a solid network, odds are there's somebody in your network that you've crossed paths with before probably be a good fit for your team. So... Those one-on-one conversations, I think, can be really promising. But I do think it was really helpful for outside recruitment for us to have, a, um, I think, a pretty strong brand, if I do say so myself. like we, we launched with a really solid site. We were very specific about our offer. We came out with a strong point of view on content marketing. So by the time it was time to start recruiting, in about November six six months ago or so um people knew what we were about and got excited about the prospect of working on what we were working on what we are working on so that's number one just like building making it really clear what your point of view is so that you're attracting folks with a similar mindset right i think number two i i don't take credit for this at all i give credit to our business coach and becca my wife because my my go-to is to just jump in and do the thing like if i was left to my own devices i would have opened a blank google doc uh, uh, typed out the job description in a couple hours and then posted it on Superpath and linkedin right but our coach kind of walked walked it back um sorry this might get a little convoluted but leading up to launch of beam we went through this process um they call model one, and it's essentially just laying all of the foundations for your business. It's what your positioning is, uh, your pricing, your offer, your differentiators just all of this really foundational work before we ever wrote a single line of copy on the site, right? And it gave us a really strong understanding of what we were about when it did come time to start creating content and, and writing copy for the site. So our coach had, a, had me do the, that same thing but with a recruitment mindset. So it was, what are our differentiators? Why would you want to work with Beam? Um, What are our benefits? Like how what's going to be incentivizing and exciting to folks? Um, What are the different roles and like plan for the next year or two so that I could communicate clearly about that? Then created a, a role scorecard in Google Sheets saying laying out all the responsibilities, what they'll be measured on for success and all of that took both of those things to create a job description so there was like quite a few more steps before even writing the job description than i would have thought and i think it was really beneficial for finding the right person
1: and this i want the the listener who's listening to this interview to self-select whether or not this is the right career path for them so my next question I'm asking it knowing that there's many places we can go, and I might not be asking it in the right way. So work with me here, Brooklyn. But there there are multiple industries, multiple roles that a marketer can select as part of their career. But have, when you're considering those things, there's also another layer, which is aside from business model, industry, and skill set, there's also whether or not you want to be in-house a freelancer or part of an agency right of those three specific criteria for a career from your experience what are the pros and cons of each hey there if you're enjoying this episode and you're a first time listener why not hit the follow button my goal with each of these episodes is to introduce a new marketing concept or dive deeper into one so that you can become a better digital marketer. Hopefully, through these episodes, you join me on this journey, the path to CMO. So, if you've gotten this far, I'm assuming you're liking the conversation that I'm having with Dan. And, again, I'd love
0: it if you subscribed. Thanks for listening so far. Oh, that is a good question. I think you asked it in the exact right way. Cool. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, well, let's take them in order. Let's see. was freelancing first pros there really is no limit or the limit is very high and i don't mean to sign, sound cheesy in that but if you can niche down not just in the type of clients you work on but also what your skill set is instead of being a generalist marketer i think you can make really good money as a solopreneur or free and just straight up freelancer right by the time i left my full-time gig i was making more on the side as a freelancer than i was for my w2 right so i think there's really no limit um i mean there's freelancers who make you know a few hundred thousand dollars a couple that i know make (laughs) seven figures so you can just build a lot more financial independence for yourself i think than if you're in a in a full-time job that's a pro The con is you're the business. So you're running, you're running bookkeeping and sales and marketing yourself. And it's, it's just, it can be a lot. So it isn't for everybody. It's not like the dream is to be able to do creative work for 40 hours a week, right? And get paid for it. But the reality is you're putting probably at least 30% of your time towards operations and admin and all of that. So I'd say that's the con in-house I think the learning opportunity is better um at least it was for me I learned so much those couple of years where uh, um, like just more about marketing I learned from um my manager what great management looks like I learned kind of the internal not politics but <laughs> what it means to you know actually try to get internal buy-in for things and how you can how you navigate that um so i think you can just learn a lot in your career by being in-house if you're at the right company and have the right manager right yeah the con i think it's slower growth in terms of actually moving up in your career um you know promotions can be hard to come by even if you're stellar and your company's great like moving out positions probably every 12 to 18 months, uh, the earliest, right? <laughs> um, and then there's politics. So that's actually, I did enjoy learning that and how to navigate it, but there's so many more politics than I would have thought. You're totally right. And that's all like a con. Um, and there's politics. That's actually one of the reasons I ended up leaving was it just got so exhausting to try to continually get buy-in for the things my me and my team were working on. And I'm, you know, and I had to go through so many, jump through so many hoops where I was like, I'm spending 30% of my time talking about the work instead of doing the work. Right. Um, agency, I don't know if I have a non-biased answer to this because I run an agency rather than work for an agency. I know agencies have a bad rap for long working hours, high pressure, high turnover, um, growth 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 all of that so i think that that from talking to other freelancers and agency owners that does feel like the con like it can be pretty unnecessarily demanding like really everybody we're we're helping software companies sell software to other software companies as do we need really need to build so much pressure around this um I think a pro is if you find the right agency, you can spend a lot of time in the creative work. Um, Like if you're a designer, uh, you know, finding the right design agency. If you're a developer, you know, a full stack agency. If you're a writer and just really love writing, an agency like Beam where we focus on conversations and the story rather than pumping out 50 SEO blog posts every month right
1: yeah and there's the advantage brooklyn of if you have an agency that has good account managers and a sales rep doesn't need to be a full team but there's like at least one to two people that are just full-time sales right, you right. don't need to do that work you're just literally getting the briefs you're probably doing like a monthly or if not already yeah. um bigger scaled meeting with the client but aside from that you're getting briefs and you're just working on the creative stuff that you want to do every day which is one of the benefits I saw from working in an agency two times in the past, which is very cool.
0: Oh, you've worked at an agency. I mean, so you have a better answer than I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I worked at um, I worked at VaynerMedia in the past. That was a, a long time ago. Yeah, that was a very long time ago. I didn't know nearly as much as I, I should have known when I joined. That's a separate story. And then um, I also worked at a agency that was doing paid media and media buying for a solar company solar industry um, small businesses and franchises one of the fa- my favorite things about that gig was I didn't have to sell my services their whole yeah. team doing that for me specifically the founder and his sales reps my job was just create advertising creative set it up into Facebook and monitor their ad campaigns the pacing and just get stuff done yeah and I really love doing that that was one of my favorite parts about being an agency it's always why sometimes it's like if I find myself in a job search I'm always trying to figure out that internal conflict of I love agencies, but I love in-house. I don't know which one to do next because every single thing, all three of them have their pros and cons. Yeah,
0: yeah, they really do. And it's another, there's no one right path. So, I think you said choose your own adventure. No, what was the phrase you use uh, for listeners to figure out what the right path is for them, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that. Well, now, Brooklyn When it comes to, let's just take the route of both agency and freelance, because both of them kind of have to deal with clients. And sometimes you can only learn this through experience, even when I've listened to countless YouTube videos and podcasts about this situation. So the listener who's listening, take this with a grain of salt. You sometimes have to learn this through experience, but podcasts can guide you in the right direction to catch it sooner rather than later nightmare clients how do you spot a nightmare client before ideally before you sign a contract
0: Mm. never had a nightmare client what are you talking about (laughs) yeah no it's inevitable right especially because yeah, I just, if, if there are freelancers listening, I just want you to know, I see you because there's so much, it just feels like there's so much pressure on you all the time. Like you're facing imposter syndrome, you're fe- constantly feeling like you, if you lose one client, then, you know, are you going to be able to pay rent? It just is, I get that there's a lot of pressure in it, um, which is why, sorry, all that to say, I think in general, freelancers are really not great at saying no because it's like, well, it's, oh, I have to please the client so that they stay as clients so that I can get the money. And I was really bad at saying no as a freelancer. And I think most freelancers I've talked to are, if they're not bad, at, if they aren't now, they have in the past been not so great at at saying no. Um, one of the no's is, yeah, saying no to a potential cl- client, which is potential money in your pocket because you're seeing red flags and saying no instead of ignoring those red flags, right? Um, none of that was answering your question. Uh, what, well, what you, are can, those red you could flags? Say no. Would be. Oh, Go for it.
1: What I was just going to say is um, when you're thinking about those red flags, you can say no before the contract starts but you can also have opportunities to say no in the middle of the contract if you're trying to guard your scope of work. Yeah. So with that in mind, what would be some of those red flags before and maybe even during that you might have missed in this hypothetical scenario with a nightmare client? Yeah.
0: I think beforehand, um, I would recommend looking for clarity and specificity in what they're telling you they need. If it's very wide open and they don't really give a clear answer about what they need and what their goals are for that, it's pretty likely that there's going to be a disconnect where maybe their expectations are way up here, they're getting a certain result, but that might not be realistic or, they wanted, or, they, or they're not even clear on what type of work they want. You're just looking for clarity in them telling you, look, here's where we're... Here's where we've come from, here's where we want to get to, and here's where we imagine you plugging in. Right. Um, I think there's exceptions to that because I think like consultants can come in and help too if you're a very if you are freelancer term consultant, like coming in and helping guide make those decisions. So there are exceptions, but if it's pretty wide open, that might be at least a yellow flag. I think the phrase I've tweeted about this before of the like, oh, we can't afford that much for this initial project, but we have a ton of work coming down the pipe. That ton of work is always going to be on the horizon because they don't have their shit together and know the project management side of of marketing, right? So then that's it's just going to be an always moving target, and you a probably want increased rates as that easily. <laughs> and B, weirdly, that's a, a sign of a client that is going to be most likely to ghost you, right? So I just steer clear. That's a big red flag for me. Yeah. And then just asking questions about internal buy in. Like, I think it's, a, I've gotten myself in this situation before where the person I'm working with directly is bought in and gets it. But the CEO or the CMO or or the VP of marketing hasn't been hasn't they haven't gotten buy-in from their leadership essentially so then you get three months into the project and it's like way out of whack right so i would ask pretty intentional questions about what the team looks like what the goals of the leadership team are if there's buy-in around this specific type of content or marketing play or whatever it is you're talking about with your potential client.
1: Yeah, because there's that political dance, whether you're in-house or you're a freelancer or part of an agency, that dance is happening no matter what. Yeah. Now, let's say you're not dealing with a nightmare client and you are are doing great work for them. They like the engagement. They're going to renew and you're having a long-lasting relationship with them. A lot of times in this specific career path, one of the best ways to grow is through referrals but it might be scary to ask for one what is the best approach for asking referrals and when is the right time mm-hmm. to do so
0: the right time i would probably wait at least three months into the project so you have, until you've turned around a solid set of deliverables and you know that they're happy with the results probably closer to six months waiting that long <clears throat> Just so it doesn't feel like you're using them to take that next step, right? It's just, hey, you've been really happy with the work. Anybody yeah. you know that might benefit, right? Uh, in terms of asking, just like that, just do it face-to-face on a call uh, on one of your check-in calls if you can. Uh, and just ask directly, you know, and say like, hey, I have really enjoyed working with you on this this is the type of project i like working on do you know anybody that could benefit from the type of work that we've been doing together so i ask on a call follow it up with a short email or slack message um yeah and leave it there like i don't i don't know if everyone would agree with me on this but i'd probably stop at that that like one or two asks rather than putting it on your calendar to send a reminder. If you haven't gotten any referrals from them, like just make the ask, make it direct. And if there's a good fit, I think they'll, they'll make those introductions. Let's say that the listener, and I
1: I faced this myself so many times, I I failed at this so many times. So I I could use your advice here too. Let's say both myself and the listener are struggling with getting clients. And we've tried doing the cold pitch, but 10 times out of 10, we don't even get a response. What makes for a successful cold pitch?
0: I think it'll turn that on its head a bit and say it's okay. probably, a, and probably the most important piece is what comes before the cold pitch. Like we, we talked about referrals, direct referrals, but there's also just reputation. And I think it's, building your reputation in the space so that when that pitch comes in, ideally there's some recognition there. And I mean, my route for that was social. So if I'm sending somebody a DM, odds are they've seen my stuff on social. Um, we, we used our, we used logos for that too. I think that's a almost like async referral where it's like, I can't count the many, the number of times I've gotten on a sales call, <clears throat> And they go like, oh, I didn't know you guys worked with metadata. I love their stuff. And it's just like an instant goes from 50-50 to like 80% sold because of the clients we worked with, right? Um, for the actual pitch.
1: <laughs> it's a complicated subject.
0: Yeah, and there's so much out there. Um, I'm not a sales guy, so it's not actually something to, to be honest that great at like i know i could do a lot better on sales calls i'm not super proactive with follow-ups my the few cold pitches i've sent out could probably be better um i would check out um will Allred on linkedin uh and i think he's on twitter now too he's one of the co-founders of lavender which is literally about this it's about helping people send better cold emails. Um, and he just has a ton of great advice on making them personalized, relevant, short, um, and timely. I think those are the four. There we go. I finally landed on answer. I think those are the four pieces that you'd look for in a, in a cold email or a cold DM. It's, uh, it's relevant. So you're talking to the right person about the right thing. It's personalized, um, which is not hey, go raiders. So you can saw you're in LA or whatever. It's like, hey, I, I saw your post about this. Would love to hear more of that or I like this piece of it. Just like making it truly really personalized, um, timely. Um, you can look for potential triggers. Like if they're hiring for a certain role that might need support from somebody like you, like you don't have to call that out in the message, but you know that they're looking... For additional help, um <clears throat> or if they're new to their role, like within three months, like just saying, Hey, how's the new how's the new job going? Do you yeah. need support in the remainder of twenty twenty three, right? So making it timely. Uh and then there's a fourth one, I forget what it was. Sorry. <laughs> um timely, relevant. Personalized. Oh, and short. short. Just and keeping short. it. Short. Yeah, straightforward. Yeah. 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 Very sh- straightforward. Get to your point. Make it about them not i work on this and this and this and these are what clients have said about my work and yeah like make it about them and make it short so that it's a back and forth conversation not a you throwing everything in the kitchen sink at them
1: yeah that makes sense um before i ask some rapid fire questions for the listener there is a previous episode at the time of this recording with uh one of the team members at lavender uh chelsea castle so if you want to dive into yeah, if you want to dive into uh, lavender and what they're doing and how Chelsea is is uh, approaching growing that that company's content arm, definitely check it out. Now, when it yeah, comes, go we'll follow
0: go follow Chelsea too. Yeah, she's, great. she's good.
1: Yeah, she's great. I and mean, hence why I had her on the show. Now, Brooklyn, these questions can create a whole other episode in and of itself, but it's hard to to task you with this within one to two sentences for each question. Um, see if you can uh encapsulate each answer so the first question is why are interviews a great source of content
0: one to two sentences yeah it's a challenge <clears throat> starting with interviews infu- inevitably infuses the the resulting content with personality and specificity which is what you want in great content
1: yeah why is original data and original research important with content
0: it's a differentiator not many companies do it well so if you can leverage your platform data or put budget behind a survey that's thought leadership because you're showing original insights that they can't get anywhere else nice you're doing great at this um
1: do you believe right now ai content has a place with marketing
0: yes it, oh, this one's the hardest one kenny oh. <laughs> yeah yeah it gets progressively <laughs> harder yes it has a place with major caveats. yachts and for specific use cases,
1: nice. And you can only learn that through using it. At the end of the day, um, as a side note, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this, and I tweeted about it recently. Any, and this is this is specifically only for myself. It's like a reminder for myself, but also for the listeners. Anyone who says they're an expert in AI is somewhat fooling you and fooling themselves because AI is not even like a year old. So, yeah. so yeah. if if you really want to follow someone's advice, ask them to do a screen recording. Of all of the chat logs that they have of tool. And if it's not more than a hundred chat logs, don't listen to them. Mm,
0: I like that. Yeah. Solid advice. That's the proof in yeah, the pudding. I had, a tweet, I had a tweet earlier this year that was uh must have four years of chat GPT experience, job description yeah. at the end of 2023, probably. Yeah. That's yeah, that's totally pretty much right. what it
1: is. And and it's it's too early. So if anyone's telling you they're an expert, they're probably aggregating curating content regurgitating it in their own voice, probably using ChatGPT to do that. So just...
0: To do it. <laughs> yeah, just be yeah.
1: mindful of that. And the best way to prove if someone knows what they're doing is to see, like can they record oh, themselves on a little video with their face and it's their account and they're showing hundreds of logs of ChatGPT usage. That's the only way you can really yeah. validate if they're an expert. Now, I just went on a, yeah. a rambling rant. So I'll, I'll a- ask my last two questions. My second to last question is... And this is a great way to just showcase like we're all facing marketing challenges at any given time. What Mm -hmm. is the biggest marketing challenge Beam is facing this year?
0: Good question. Uh, Honestly, just landing on the right next step for our marketing is slightly more than two sentences, sorry. But we actually haven't really done marketing yet besides our own content and our organic social right so we're now in the spot where we can start investing into a marketing budget and there's so many options of where to yeah. go <laughs> um, and we only have the you know somewhat limited budget so prioritizing the right channel is is proving to be a more difficult decision yeah. than i would have thought
1: and brooklyn i have to make the assumption and and we don't need to do with one to three sentences anymore that was just like a, a little game i wanted to play with you i'm making the assumption <laughs> here that um you started off a lot with like founder led sales and now you're trying like to yeah. transition away from that right exactly yeah yeah that's a that's a big challenge in yeah. itself
0: yeah that probably won't fully happen and for like another year uh-huh. but we're taking steps there so sam my co-founder and i are like putting our documenting our sales process um like the agenda for sales calls, follow-up templates, things that we've just done and bringing our head of client success into that process. So she'll start joining sales calls and run the follow-ups and all that. So we're just taking baby steps there so that it's not all founder-led um, ideally this time next year. Yeah, yeah it's, a,
1: it's a natural progression. Now, when it comes to the natural progression of your career, This ties into my final question for this interview. Hypothetically, if you had access to the time machine and can go back to the past about 10 years knowing everything you know today, how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career?
0: I I would have, I don't mean this to be blanket advice. It's just literally taking the question at face value. But I would have focused on tech and SaaS companies and specifically B2B tech a lot they spent four or five years just kind of like all over the map, which in one sense I think was helpful. It gave me a good sense of social and email and copywriting and e and DTC and all these different things. But if you're talking about leveling up your income as you level up your career, um, I think I would have niched down uh, earlier.
1: Yeah. I can agree. I've been a marketer for 8 years and I've only started niching down 2 years ago. And I do think those 6 years were important though because it helped me be that kind of generalist that's necessary for a series A startup, which is kind of like the the stage of a business I like to join. But my niche is uh financial services, not just fintech, but like insurance, fintech. So it's still not niche enough though. I would add there's there's more that I can niche down, but that's just going to take time and and being focused on on niching down over time too yeah brooklyn thank you so much for being on the show today if anyone wanted to say hello to you where can they find you online
0: hey connect with me on linkedin um or follow me on twitter thanks kenny this is great of course and uh
1: for the listener if you haven't done so already definitely subscribe rate us on apple and spotify and this is a a request i have specifically if you don't do the other two share this with a co-worker so the only way this podcast is going to grow is if you share this with someone that you think would help it would help them with their career yeah. as well and as always i hope everyone has a great week if you've gotten this far thanks again for listening to episode 133 on episode 134 i will have travis scott not the rapper the marker on the show travis is the founder of the winding road careers podcast where he talks about how your career is not a straight line and that's okay on the episode we will be talking about if career ladders are dead which they are the best way to use linkedin to find new marketing jobs and much more so if you like this conversation i had with brooklyn nash you will definitely like the next one with travis scott if you haven't hit the follow button on spotify or apple or wherever you're listening to this on please do so rate us and share this with a friend and as always